I want to share with you today, I want to talk about, well, <clears throat> developing faith versus developing our trust in what's already been done for us. You say, well, isn't that faith? Well, it, it, it depends on the emphasis. I think, I think sometimes we have this idea that we've got to do something to increase our faith. You know, we're going to be looking later on at Romans 12, chapter 3rd verse, where it talks about that we've each been given the measure of faith. We have the measure of faith. I believe we've each been given the measure, the same measure of faith. So it's not really so much developing our faith, because our faith is there. It's, it's developing the use of our faith, or coming to the place where we really, we really trust Him. You know, I, I've come to the conclusion that faith is really coming to that place in our life where we trust God, where we believe that He's going to do exactly what He said He's going to do. You know, that's how we're able to call those things that be not as though they were because we know that no matter what the circumstance is, the, the promise of God applies. And so we can trust Him and we can, we can depend on Him completely because what our faith is, our faith is having confidence in the completed works of Jesus, that He actually did what the Bible says that He did. But you know, I think sometimes we really wrestle with that. And, and uh, the reason that we, we wrestle with it is because of what we hear and what we, we listen to. In Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And, and <clears throat> it's, it's in the continuous present tense. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. It's not by having heard. It's what we hear. And so faith is being developed in our lives by what we hear. And so, you know, what we, what we hear is, is so totally important to us. And, you know, what we've just gone through for the last year and a half uh, with the election is an absolute proof of it. That it works. You know, because why do they spend millions and millions of dollars on advertisements that you hear over and over and over and over and over and over again? I mean, you think, man, I've heard it once, take it off the air. No, they want you to hear it again. Because faith comes by hearing. And so things can be totally distorted. Why? Because of what we heard. And because if we hear it long enough, we actually come to the point where we believe that it's true. It can be, it can be the biggest lie, but we come to a point where we believe it's true. Why? Because we've heard it so much. Well, you know, they said it on CNN, or they said it on Fox, or they said it on ABC, NBC, CBS, so it must be true. <laughs> Sucker! No! But I can tell you something that is truth. It's right here. And that's why we need to hear it, and hear it, and hear it, while we're developing our faith. Well, what we're doing is we're putting trust in the completed works of Jesus. And so what we're actually doing is the last part of it is we're developing our use of our faith. Because you already have faith. Religion has told us we don't have faith. 
You've got to develop your faith. You've got to, there, is a, there is a growing in faith, but it's not growing in the amount of faith you have. It's growing in the amount that you trust in what Jesus has already done for you. So that's what I want to talk with you today about is putting our trust, putting our confidence completely in what Jesus has done for us. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them over to Luke, the 17th chapter. And, and Jesus is talking to his, his followers, his disciples here, and he tells them that if somebody forgives, if somebody sins against you, to forgive them. And if somebody sins against you multiple times, forgive them. And, and, and the reason that I bring this up is because it's so interesting what the disciples say at the end of Jesus' teaching or dissertation. They said, Lord, increase our faith. What are they saying? They're saying, Lord, this is impossible. We can't do this. I'm sure there's people that have said things to you, done things to you, and you look at it and you say, that's an absolutely impossible. I can, I can never forgive that person. I can, I can never get over this. Well, if we're in that boat, then we need to be doing what the disciples did, what the disciples said. They said, Lord, increase our faith. And they weren't saying, Lord, give us more faith. What Jesus was saying was, follow my instructions and do what I told you to do. How do you increase in faith? It's not by just sitting around thinking that your faith is gonna be increasing. It's by focusing on what Jesus has already told us we're able to do. And so Jesus tells them to do this because he knows that they can do it. So anyway, Luke the 17th chapter, in the third verse is where we're gonna begin reading. And it says, take heed to yourself. Hmm. Another novel thought. Take heed of yourself. Not talking about the one that sinned against you. It's not talking about the one that did you wrong. He's saying, take heed of yourself. You know what? <clears throat> For you to walk in forgiveness has more to do with you than it does the other person. Because you can't change the other person. You know, I, 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 I come to realize this the hard way. You know, people had said things or done things and hurt my feelings, made me feel bad. You know, and there, there's one in, individual when we had drive the kids to school at one point, we were, we were very close and Every day at the four-way stop, I'd meet him as I'm driving the kids to school. This individual would, for, for some reason, for four years, never even happened to look in my direction. Never. You know, and so I've, I found myself, I'd, I'd lay in bed at night thinking about it. Losing sleep, losing sleep at night over it because people didn't like me. You know, I mean, when I got saved and went into the ministry, I thought, you know, I'd just find a group of people who would just love each other and hang out till the rapture. And then all of a sudden I realized not everybody liked me. I mean, isn't that hard to imagine? Isn't that hard to believe? But there are people that really didn't, didn't like me very much. And so here I am, I'm laying, laying awake at night in bed thinking about these things and wrestling with it and so forth. And then one night it hit me. They don't even care. I'm laying here, losing my sleep, and it's having absolutely no effect upon them. The only one is affecting is me because I'm getting up every morning tired. And I thought, you know what? I forgive them. They spoke ugly about me. I forgive them. It's, it's in the past. I forget about it. And, and so every time I'd come to that um, intersection, I'd wave. 
Never got to wave back because they're always looking in the same direction, but always waved. Ran into somebody at the grocery store. I walked by them rather than going down the other aisle because you know what? I have no ought in my heart because I made a decision. I can't be responsible for their action and reaction to me. All that I can be responsible is for me. Amen? Amen. I mean, we want everybody else to do something. But you know what? I can only take care of myself. And so he says, take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. I mean, if you can't identify with that, wake up. Yeah, because I know that each and every one of us, we deal with the same stuff. There's people in our lives that we've wanted to just write off because we've forgiven, we've tried, but they just, they just won't change. They won't, they won't make it, they won't, they won't do anything. But you know, you know what? We can only be responsible for ourselves. And so the Lord said, if you have faith, isn't it interesting the context that this is used in? He's saying, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you having a servant plowing and, and tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for uh, my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drank and afterwards you may eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I think not. So likewise, you. When you have done all the things which your command, commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty. Now think of, again, you know, oftentimes we take scripture and we'll take a particular verse and we'll take it out of context. And so as a result of that, we only get a portion of what's really being told us there. You know, we, we read that first part portion of scripture until it comes up to the mulberry tree and then we look at it as a, as a separate teaching. But it's one teaching. He's saying to his disciples, if somebody sinned against you seven times, you forgive them. What he's actually saying to them, because he says, we're obliged to do what we're commanded to do. He's saying it's a command. And if we're commanded to do something, that means we can do it. Let me tell you something. If God asked you to do something that it was impossible for you to do, God would be unjust. Thank you for that rousing amen. But it's the truth. If God asked us to do something that was impossible for us to do, God would be unjust. Guess what? God never asked you to die for the sins of the person next to you so they could be forgiven. You know why? That would be unjust. You know why? Because you're not a perfect sacrifice. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. But what he did tell us to do, he told us to love one another. And it's not based on whether or not that individual is lovable. <laughs> I can tell you're just loving this message today. But it isn't based on the other person. It's because he's told us to. And because he's commanded us to, that means it's possible for us to do it. It's possible for us to love 
the unlovely. And so what it does here, he, he, he's actually dealing with what reflects much of the attitude of the church today. We see ourselves and then we look down our pointing little nose at everybody else. But he says what we're supposed to do is that if we're really walking in love, we're able to love one another, that the one that we're to examine is not everybody else, but we're to examine ourselves. But, but again, it goes back to what I talked about earlier. What it boils down to is what are we listening to? Are we listening to how we can't? Or are we listening to how we can through Jesus Christ? How he's done it all for you and I. You know, in Galatians, the second chapter, it says, for by grace we've been saved through faith, eight and nine. For by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. In other words, it not depend, it's not dependent upon us. For by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a, it's a gift of God, not of works, but no one has anything to boast about. You know what? I don't have anything to boast about. Tell you what else. You don't have anything to boast about. Because it's all about Jesus. For by grace we've been saved through faith. And so what's interesting about this, even the faith that we have to be saved is grace. We can't work up our faith. We can't make faith happen. He's given us the grace so that we might have salvation, but it's through faith, and the faith is given to us by grace, by hearing the word. You know, <clears throat> you've all heard about that Saturday morning in the basement of Vern Lewis's house when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It wasn't because of anything that I did. It was because somebody took time to share the scriptures with me to share the Word of God with me. And there wasn't anything that I could do other than hear that Word. And when that Word came to me, there was faith that rose up on the inside of me and it demanded an action. Do you know what faith does in your life? It demands an action on your part. When you begin to meditate upon this scripture in the book of Luke, and you meditate on that, rather on justifying yourself, what'll happen, there'll come a point in time in your life where you'll say, I forgive that person. And you go, whoa, did that just come out of my mouth? Yes, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it's not because of something that you've done, it's because of what the Holy Spirit has worked in your life. Salvation came by grace and the faith for salvation came by the grace of God. But it doesn't come unless we hear. You know, the more that we hear the Word of God, the more confidence that we have that God is going to do exactly what He said He's going to do. You know, in Romans, the 10th chapter, talks about how, how can they believe unless they hear, and how can they hear, lest there be a preacher, and how can they preach, unless they be sent? Well, let me read it to you. It comes from Romans, the 10th chapter. I'm gonna begin reading in the, in the 14th verse. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not heard. You know, <clears throat> I'd heard about Jesus. It's not just hearing about Jesus. It's hearing about the person of Jesus. Hearing how, uh, 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 of what he completed for you in his life. How shall they uh, call upon him 
whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, the gospel of peace. Not a message of peace, not a message that we all just need to get along. That isn't going to bring anybody into the kingdom. All that's going to do is reveal how, how broad the gap is between us. But he's, he says to preach the gospel of peace. What's the gospel of peace? Jesus Christ, he crucified, he raised from the dead for your justification. And you know what that does? That brings peace into your life. And once you have that kind of peace in your life, we're able to have peace with one another. How beautiful are the feet of those who, bring, who, who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Everybody say good things. Good things. The gospel is a good thing. Amen, grunt something. It's a good thing. You know, to hear some people today, you'd think the gospel was a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. What God has for you is good. He wants you to be blessed abundantly above what you could ever ask or think. He wants to restore to you the joy of your salvation. He wants you to have peace and harmony with others. He wants you to have the victorious life in every single area of your life. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Who's believed our report? What's the report? The report is the word of God. And so then he goes on and he says in the 17th verse, so then, again, remember what he just talked about. He's tying this in with what he just talked about. How, how can you believe unless there be a preacher? And how can there be a preacher unless they be sent? And how can they, so how can we hear unless there's somebody bringing that word to us? And then he says, so then, faith comes by hearing. In hearing by the word of God. You want faith in your life? Good faith? Productive faith? Faith of good things, faith that is going to give you hope, it's going to be through the Word of God. It's not going to be because of what some man has to say. See, the Word is a carrier of faith. You know, I don't know about you. When I got saved and, and I began to hear the message of faith because I grew up in church. I grew up going through confirmation, going through all of the other stuff. But all that it meant to me was that it was a bunch of rules and regulations that I was supposed to abide by that I didn't and couldn't. But then I heard the Word of God. And faith began to rise up in my life. And, and the thing that I found is that faith is easy. Let me tell you something. Faith is easy. Hear the word? Faith comes. Hear the word? Faith comes. What do I mean faith comes? When you hear the word, it develops a trust and a confidence in Jesus. So faith is easy. The hard part is unlearning all the religion Relearning, re, re, relearning all the stuff that you had heard in the past. But you see, you take somebody that's never heard anything. They hear about God's love for them. And, and, and I mean, the first thing is unbelief. 
how can this be? I'm too rotten, I'm too no good, I'm too miserable. I've never done anything right. But then they come to realize that's the very person that Jesus died for. And so he died for me. And so they hear that Jesus loves them and they accept it. You ever notice something about a, a little baby, these little babies who got scattered all over the room? You tell them they're cute and they think so. They believe it. Why? Because they trust you. You know, they get a little bit older and they're able to walk a little bit and they're on the table and you tell them to get off the table and so you hand, hold your hands out and they jump to you. Now, if you want them to stop that, <laughs> what you do is <laughs> they won't do it again. <laughs> and they probably won't trust you in anything else either. <laughs> but see, that's what religion has done to us. We've seen something and then it steps aside, we're all on our own. But you know what, with Jesus, we have never and we never will be on our own. Jesus is always there to catch us, to assist us, to help us. The more that we hear that, the more we come to believe that, when you listen to, it's impossible, you're never gonna to amount to anything, you begin to believe that, and you begin to live it out in your life. But when you hear what Jesus has done for you, and you begin to believe it, sickness and disease comes against your body, and rather than ball and squall and whine and everything else, you get a smile on your face, because you know, I may not feel real good right now, but healing's on its way. Because by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. My checkbook may not look real good right now, but that's subject to change because Jesus became poor that I might become rich. Oh yeah, maybe we've had relationships that have, that have been a struggle, but you know what? They don't have to continue that way. Why? Because Jesus said that I have the ability to forgive them no matter what the circumstances are, and so I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to live in that. The Bible says in Romans 10, 29, it says that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance, another translation says, will not be revoked, is what another translation says. What does that mean? That means the gifts and the callings. You know, we oftentimes use this scripture in the context of somebody that's being called into the ministry. Well, you've been called into the ministry. You've been called into the ministry of reconciliation. And that calling is irrevocable. And the gifts of God, the manifold blessings of God that Ephesians talks about, they've been given to you, they've been poured out for you, and they will not be taken away from you. They belong to you, and they belong to me. And we say, well, pastor, I just, I just don't see it. Because you're looking in the wrong place. You're not looking at the word, you're looking at the circumstances. The word will never change, but your circumstances Every one of them is subject to change. In 1 Peter 1.23, and I want to read this out of the Amplified. It says, you have been regenerated, born again, not from a mortal origin seed, but from one that is immortal, by the ever-living and lasting Word of God. The Word of God is, it's never going to pass away. It's never going to, it's never going to cease. Well, you know, Pastor, there's, there's an attack upon the church and they're, they're, they're trying to steal the Word from us. They are, but they'll never succeed. 
You go all, you go all through history, and you even look and, and, and study through the, the Dark Ages. There was a, what's the word that I want? Not segment, the remnant. There was a remnant. The church isn't going to cease to exist. The church may have some struggles. But you know what? If we don't want the church to always struggle, we need to rise up. And we, need, we the church, need to be the church and walk in what's been made available to each and every one of us. And that comes to us through the promises God's made to us. And it's ours. It's available to us. But we need to, we need to begin to walk in it. In Romans, the 12th chapter, well, I'm going to look, look at the third verse, but let's, let's start in the first verse. Romans 12, 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You know, at the close of the service, we're going to have communion today. And communion, we're reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, that it was through his, the shedding of his blood, his death, burial, and resurrection, that we have life and that we have it more abundantly. And, and here it says, as believers in Christ, we're, we're to be a living sacrifice. In other words, we're to live our life sacrificially for Christ. But it's, it's like a guy I had preached in my church one time. He says the problem with us is being living sacrifices is that we keep crawling off the altar. Well, we need to crawl on the altar. We need to stay there. And when we fall off, we need to get back on it again. And so he says, I beseech you therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, because you don't do it in your own strength and your own ability. You do it through the mercies of God. He empowers us, he equips us to be able to do this. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. As we do this, we're proving to whom? Well, it proves it to us, but it's also testimony and evidence to those around us of the goodness of God. Because ultimately, that's what our life is here for. That's what we're living for, to be a living testimony to others of the goodness of God. People ought to be able to see in our lives something they want and something they need. You know, several years ago, um, Pastor Bruce Wangler and I, uh, we went to Egypt. And we did a, um, we did a visit video series there with, I think there were four other pastors. And uh, it was, it's illegal to preach in Egypt. And it was, it was illegal to bring materials in. So what we did was we took cam recorders. <laughs> Let's you know how long ago that was. T cam recorders and, and blanks and we, we recorded the, these meetings. We, we recorded all these teachings. We did a whole series of teachings and then what they did was they duplicated them and they, they took them into the underground church so that they could, they could have the foundations. And one of the young men that was one of our guides, he is a young Muslim man and he was just going to be with us the first day but uh, he decided that he had spent the full, we were there almost two weeks, the full two weeks with us. And so he was uh, one of our drivers and our guide and so forth and interpreting for us and so forth. But he's a Muslim. And uh, so the, the person we were over there with 
uh, one evening he wanted us to to experience this nice restaurant in Cairo and so there was this barge that was a restaurant on the Nile and so we we ate on the Nile that night and this young man of course was with us and we're sitting at one of the tables and there were probably four of us um, sitting there and him and about midway through the evening he looked at us and he says I think he was 20 years old, something like that. He looked at us and he says, I don't know what it is that you have, but I want it. And so he prayed with him and uh, he received Jesus as Lord and Savior. He was born again and he was baptized in the Holy Ghost and he prayed in tongues. And, uh, and so he spent the rest of the trip trying to you know, go to the embassies and so forth, when we had an opportunity, trying to get him out of the country because as a, as a Muslim nation, it's illegal to be converted. And so if the authorities found out that this young man became a Christian, he had a very good chance that they would, he would just simply disappear because it's illegal to be converted. And he knew that. He knew that very well because his uncle, who was another guy that drove us around, had just gotten back from Mecca as he had gone on his, what do they call him, their pilgrimage. He'd just gotten back from that. And so he was, he was very devout, but he was helping us. Because he knew, because he was an authority in the government, he knew that he needed to get out of the country. I don't know what ever happened because we didn't get achieved what we wanted to achieve and never heard anything. But this is what I want you to, this is what I want you to know. What are people saying in your life? You know, the Bible says as Christians, we are a peculiar people. Now let me give you the proper definition of that. Because a lot of people think peculiar means weird. And a lot of Christians are feeling that role. But that's not what the definition is. The definition of peculiar is different. In other words, if we're like the world, we're not different. We're not peculiar. We're like them. And so what does that mean? That means, that doesn't mean that we go around unless the Holy Ghost has told you to with our Bibles in our hand all the time, thumping it and preaching it at everybody. You know, if the opportunity is there, preach to them. But let me tell you something. You preach a much more effective message with your lifestyle then you will thump in your Bible. Because if you live it with your lifestyle, you'll eventually have an opportunity to thump your Bible. I can, I can just tell, everybody is just so excited about this message that I'm preaching today. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> but it's a truth. Thank you. It's a truth. And so we need to, we need to live the life. How do we live the life while well, we develop our faith? No, you have faith. We develop the use of our faith. Did I ever get to the third verse? Let's read Romans 12, the third verse. For I say, this is Paul, he says, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In other words, take the position of a servant. We're sons of God. What a marvelous position to be in. You're a son of God. Jesus is your brother. You're an heir. 
You're in joint heir with Jesus Christ. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. But he says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Because you see, if it wasn't for Jesus, you'd be zero. Nothing. And so what do we do? We take the position, even though I'm a son of God, we take a position of servant. In, fa in fact, Paul says, I'm a, I'm a bond servant. And if you study that out, that means it's the lowest slave. It's the one that when you would come into the house, they would wash your feet. If you've trudged around in donkey dung and camel manure all day. They're the ones that get to wash your feet. They're the ones that would be in the bottom of the boat with the oars rowing where they would spend the rest of their life. And he says we're to take that position of a servant. That's how we're able to lay down our life for one another. Not because I think of myself more highly than you. It's because I see myself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore I am here to serve you. We're here to serve one another. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one. My translation says a measure of faith. But I believe a more accurate translation there is the measure of faith. You've received the same measure as me and I've received the me same measure as you. You say, well, well, pastor, it just seems like some people have more faith than others. I'll never forget the words of Brother Hagen. As he is sharing one time, he says, we've all been given the measure of faith. He says, but the difference between me and you is that I've chosen to do something with my faith. We have a choice. We have faith. Let's choose to do something with our faith. Well, pastor, I don't know what to do. Well, you begin by reading the word. You begin by finding out what are the promises that have been made available to you. And then you begin to speak it out. You stop speaking out what the world says about you. You stop listening to everything that contradicts what the Word of God has to say. And you choose to believe the Word. And then you begin to act upon it. You're justified. I heard one definition of justification that when you're justified, it's just as if you've never sinned. We're justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. What, what, do, you, what do you mean you're justi we're justified? We're justified, and therefore we can come before him, and we can receive whatever it is that we may have need of. In Galatians, the second chapter, Galatians, the second chapter in the 16th verse, It says, know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have who we who even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no man shall be justified. What is that telling us? It's not about what I do. 
What I've done is what Jesus has done for me. And when I believe, when I begin to believe what Jesus has done for me, my actions begin to change. I begin to live differently. My priorities begin to change. Things that were once important to me are no longer important to me, but I have a whole new set of values of things that are important in my life. It's through Jesus. You see, it's supernatural beyond human reasoning. If we're, if we're going to do it by the works of the law, then it's all dependent upon me. It's, it's dependent upon my actions. It's dependent upon whether I choose to do good now or not to do good. It's all about me. But when I begin to walk by faith and I realize that it's the grace of God and I begin to focus upon His Word, there's something supernatural that begins to manifest in my life. In other words, he begins to change my want to. I begin to follow after him, not because I feel this obligation, but because I want to. Because it's birthed out of love. You see, it's an absolute impossibility for me to truly love God in my, in my natural senses. Because everything about it goes contrary to what my flesh wants to do. My flesh wants to be selfish. My flesh wants to look out for me. My flesh wants to satisfy my flesh. But how is it that somebody's able to make the sacrifices so that the kingdom of God can be further than God and that Jesus can be lifted up? I believe it's a, it's a supernatural operation that the moment that we begin to receive the Word of God into our life, it begins to happen. In Galatians 20, or excuse me, 2.20, it says, I have been, not I'm going to be, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's supernatural. You know, when we begin to talk about supernatural, immediately people begin to think about, you know, miracles like legs growing out and, and eyesight being improved. And, and all of those are miraculous and they're all of God. But you realize that you and I are everyday life. It's supernatural. God wants to operate in our life in a supernatural way every, every moment of every day. And how can this happen? Because Jesus lives in us. God gave him for you and me so that me, we might be victorious. You know, even when Jesus was walking on the earth, he said to his disciples, he said, you know what? It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, I'm going to send another comforter to you. That word another there means someone just exactly like me. The Holy Spirit is just exactly like Jesus. Do you want to act like Jesus? That's what we do when we allow the Holy Spirit to work and to operate in our life. And Jesus said something else. He said, you're not only going to do what I've done, but you're going to do greater works than I did. I better read that because, you know, <clears throat> you, you might not believe me. But this is actually what Jesus said to those that were following him. In John 14, in the 12th verse, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, let me tell you something. He's saying it to you and to you, to every one of us in this room. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Do I have anybody that believes in Jesus? 
I'm a Jesus believer. And so then we qualify. And so he says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. Whoa. Pastor Dave, wash your mouth out with soap. You're saying we're going to do greater works than Jesus? Well, think about this. What's the greatest miracle, the greatest work that can ever be done? Well, it's not being healed of cancer. It's being born again. And yes, Jesus breathed on his disciples in the upper room and, you know, when, when they were gathered together. And he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And, but then it was after his ascension that that was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And on that day of Pentecost, Peter, the, the coward, the one who just a few days before denied Jesus because of a little servant girl because he is afraid to be associated with Jesus and he denied him and here he is he he receives the power of the Holy Spirit he preaches a message and 3,000 people are born again do you know what that never happened in the ministry of Jesus he fed thousands, but he wasn't able to preach and see him born again because it was before his death, burial, and his resurrection. And so I believe the greater works that we're able to do, oh, we're able to do the like works that he did, raise the dead, heal the sick, and so on and so forth. But we get to see people born again. And not only that, Jesus was limited. He could be in one place at one time. I don't know how many of us are in this room this morning, but each and every one of us can be at a different location at the same time preaching the gospel to whoever who will hear the greater works. I don't believe in quantity necessarily other than getting people born again, but in quantity. These are the words of Jesus. Let me tell you something. God is not insecure. God doesn't sit up there and think, oh my goodness, you know, we better look out for Bonky. He's getting more people saved than no, no. He, God doesn't have a problem. Guess what? When, you're, when you rise up and you're recognized for how great God is in your life, Jesus isn't there sitting, oh, you know, I don't know, God, he's gotten, getting kind of big for his britches. You know, the Bible says that if we'll humble ourselves, he'll exalt us. Guess what? God wants to exalt you. He wants to exalt you in your job. He wants to exalt you in, in, in those that you fellowship with, your companions, that your voice is strong. He wants to exalt you in the usage of his gifts and talents. God wants to exalt you. And you know what? He says if we'll humble ourselves. What does it mean to humble ourselves? Doesn't mean we walk around looking on down and out. No, it means we say, Father, you're in charge. I'll follow you. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. You are in charge. You know, in Romans 4, it talks about Abraham. 
And God spoke to Abraham and he says, you're going to have a, you're going to have a son and you're going to have this son through Sarah. And, and listen to this. In Romans 4, 19 and 20, I know you've read it over and over again. But it says, and not being weak in faith. It's talking about Abraham. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his circumstances. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not consider the circumstances. What does that mean? That means you don't look around you and, and determine your lot in life by the circumstances around you. But it says, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. Dwelling on the promise, giving glory to God. Thank you, Lord, that by the stripes of Jesus I'm healed. I'm not moved by the circumstances. I'm not moved by the symptoms. I'm moved by your word. Father, thank you that my needs are met according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus because I'm not moved by the circumstances. I'm not moved by the economy. I'm not moved by those things around me. I'm moved by what your word says, and I'm a doer of your word. And so I know that as a doer of the word, my faith is in action. And I see your promises manifest in my life over and over and over again. He did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. You know, one of the great examples, you can read it for yourself, it's in Matthew 14, where Jesus was walking on the water. He's coming towards his disciples. They're, they're stalled in the middle of the lake and Jesus comes walking towards them and they think it's a phantom. They think it's a ghost. They think they're dead meat. And, and finally, uh, Jesus tells them not to be afraid and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me, bid me come. Tell me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. And it says that Jesus, or excuse me, Peter got out of the boat and and, and we saw the boats when we were in Israel that were supposed to be the types of boats that Jesus was in. And they're, I mean, they're, they're high off the water. So when it says that, that Peter had to climb down into the water, he had, to, he had to jump overboard. And it says that when he did that, he walked on the water. Now, it's an interesting thing. Every picture that I've ever seen of this event, they show Peter sinking. Yeah, he sunk, but he walked on the water. Anybody else can claim that? I could have taken a picture of a years back when we were up in northern Minnesota and we were walking across the Mississippi, but you know, you had to know where the rocks were. Peter walked on water. Did he sink? He began to. Why? Well, he walked on the water because he heard the words of Jesus and he followed the directions of Jesus. But he said he began to see the winds. He saw the wind. He's out in the middle of a lake. The waves when he began to pay attention to the circumstances, he began to sink. Thank God, he cried out to Jesus. When you begin to sink, don't continue to sink. At some point, cry out to Jesus because he immediately reached out and he grabbed him. And together they went into the boat. What's the point? What are you looking to? 
Are you looking to Jesus? Are you approaching the word to have giant faith? I've got great faith. Or is it to use your faith? Yes, let's use our faith for the glory of God. Let's use our faith that we might be a blessing to others. Let's use our faith to further the kingdom of God. One last verse. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and heal. He will direct your path. Don't allow circumstances to govern your life. Allow the word of God to govern your life. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We declare that it is true because you say so. We stand upon it. And Father, I seal it by your precious Holy Spirit. Every distraction, every circumstance that would try to immediately draw our attention so we get our attention off of you, we bind it in Jesus' name. And Father, we choose to follow after you. And so, Lord, we thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, we're going to continue our service by receiving Holy Communion. Um, and so, ushers and elders and those that are assisting, if you come forward and uh, begin to pass out the elements. If you're visiting with us today, um, if you uh, are born again, if you're a believer, we extend an invitation to you to receive Holy Communion with us. Uh, if you've been saved, even though you may not be part of this church, you're part of our extended family, and so we extend an invitation. As the ushers and elders are passing the elements around when you receive the bread, you can either receive it at that time or hold on to it till the uh, end after everybody's received it and we'll receive it together. But right now we're passing out the bread that represents the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Jesus, on the night in which he is betrayed, he declares that he took bread and he said, eat of it in remembrance of me. And so when we receive communion, we do it in remembrance of what Jesus accomplished for each and every one of us. It was through the breaking of his body that he makes our bodies whole. It was by the stripes that he received that we are healed. And so what the, the bread represents, it represents the broken body of Jesus, that it's through his death, his broken body, that we as a people are brought together, but we as individuals experience healing into our lives. And so this bread represents the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus, which was broken for you. As you receive it, receive it in remembrance of him, the body of Christ broken for you. Then, of course, we have the second element, which is the, the blood the juice that represents the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And as we often say, you know, the scripture declares that where there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so Jesus shed his blood for you and I. 
through the shedding of his blood, we receive the forgiveness of sins. Not only are our sins forgiven of the past, but past, present, and future. And not only is the sin forgiven, but the defilement of that sin is forgiven as well. You know, we may, we may forgive people, but oftentimes, even after we've made the choice to forgive them, we still struggle with the emotion of that because we remember the, the hurt or how they did us wrong, whatever it may be. But where, where God is concerned, He not only forgives our sins, but He chooses to forget our sins. The Bible says that our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west and that He remembers them no more. And I always kind of struggled with that. You know, because God is all-knowing. He knows everything. And so, He knows what I've done. He knows how I failed. But the scripture declares that He chooses to forgive. And just like that scripture we talked earlier about forgiving one another, guess what? Forgiveness is more about making a choice than it is feelings. God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, has chosen to not merely forgive us our sins, but to forget about them. Never to bring them to our remembrance again. Aren't you glad? I know that I am. The blood of Christ, which has been shed for you, receive it in remembrance of Him. Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that through Christ our sins have been forgiven. Through Christ we have the abundant life. Through Christ no weapon that's been formed against us shall prosper for the greater one lives within us. And so Father we thank you that we can have that confidence, that we can have that assurance that not only our sins are forgiven but, but we have victory made available to us. And so today we choose to walk in that. And we thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that sickness and disease has no place in us because we're the redeemed of the Lord. We thank you, Father, that you supply every one of our needs according to your riches in glory through Christ Jesus. We thank you that the greater one lives within us to empower us to walk in wholeness, to walk in victory, and we thank you for it. In the precious name of Jesus. And so, Father, as we go from this place as your ambassadors, Father, I pray your blessing upon this congregation that we might walk in the fullness of your blessings that we had experienced victory around every turn, that our voice would be heard and that lives might be changed, that we might represent you rightly. And Father, I pray it in Jesus' name. So as we go, we go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, declaring that which belongs to us through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.